episode 14. When I walk beside her, I am the better man. When I look to leave her, I always stagger back again. Once I built an ivory tower so I could worship from above. Welcome to Aretomy fans. I'm Asus. The man on the other side of the mic is EC. What's going on, Asus? Good to see you again, brother. Good, 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 EC. It's great to see you again. I, hey, I look, I uh, just want to wish your daughter a happy 16th birthday. I saw that. I, I mean, how did it go? Yes. Went really well. Uh, they followed social distancing for a little while, and then uh, with the kids not seeing each other for so long, they kind of broke the distance. But um, overall, you know, it was a good 30-minute get together um she loves the new new i shouldn't say new it's new to her new color new and new uh interior design car that she got so uh happy about how it all kind of played out so it was uh it was a success i have to say that for a current for a corona virus birthday it was a it was a success you see i know you have an older son uh, obviously um but how Okay, how, okay, because I have two, I have two young ones, so you're kind of gonna, yes. you're, you're gonna give me some advice on how I'm gonna yes. deal with this here in, in the near future. How are you preparing for um, a teenage, a teenage driver? I mean, is it, I mean, <laughs> that's just, I mean, it's a milestone in her in her life. Obviously, it's a kind of uh, this this sense of freedom. Uh, but as a father, you see, am I? I mean, you already know I'm already salt and pepper right now. <laughs> right. Um, am I gonna get? Uh, is it? Is gonna fully overcome my head, and I'm just gonna become gray? Um, because you know, I mean, you have a teenage daughter and now has, has a whip, you know, I can tell you it's one of the most stressful things I've ever done in my life. Um, she actually stayed during breakfast said, daddy, when are we going to go on the freeway? And I about, <laughs> I about lost my mind. My wife looked at me like, uh, not anytime soon. <laughs> she, she's good on the streets, but, um, she still has work to do there. So she's got her permit. Um, she's got her license or her permit, I should say. So she's still driving with us and she takes her full test in June. So she's got a little bit of time, but I would say for any parents that are out there about to start, uh, teaching their kids how to drive, pick the most patient one because I wasn't patient with my son. So my wife taught him and I was more patient with the girls. So I'm teaching the girls how to drive. So, cause I mean, it's real life. You're out there driving around and if there's a mistake that happens, like you can get hurt. So patience is key. Uh, pick the one who, you know, you get along with the, the, the best and not to pick favorites, just like personality wise, who you're not going to freak out on and just, you know, start out slow in the parking lot, church parking lot that's empty and, you know, work your way to the, the housing addition you live in and then eventually get out to the streets and, you'll soon have a driver. So it's nerve wracking, but at the end of the day, you know, you teach them as well as you can. You and I have a benefit of being, uh, instructors. So we kind of give them some, some, some tips that we've learned from work that we do. So that helps. But, um, no, I just got to have trust and have faith and, uh, you know, off, off there, off she goes. So it'll be interesting. Well, on behalf of the Don't Run Me podcast, uh, and our <laughs> fans, I just want to wish your daughter a happy, happy, belated birthday and uh, thank you many more to come and um you know it's good luck on the driving if you ever 
she needs any help, just let her tell her to hit me up. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll you know, <laughs> I'll try it's the to benefit we have exactly as driver trainers. Um, all right, you see, actually, um, guys, we had a we had the awesome opportunity, and I want to personally actually thank you, EC, for. For setting up uh, the interview that we have coming, um, you have reached out to um, FC Tucson, Amanda Powers, and um, she is the president of FC Tucson. I believe you went to school with Amanda, right, EC? Yeah, we uh, uh, elementary up into the beginning of uh, just before high school. She went to to Mission Bay. I went to Madison, but... um, before I even got there, my wife and her knew each other. Um, They're old elementary, I guess you could say middle school buddies. And so um, she kind of remembered me. I remembered her and we kind of hooked up again uh, through the beauty of Facebook. <laughs> and uh, she was she 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 blessed us with uh, her presence, uh, along with John Perelman to uh, just kind of give us some insight on how um, the direction of a football club would, would run, uh, during COVID-19. So it was really, really great conversation. Excited for you guys to hear it. So we have a, uh, like I said, the opportunity of, to interview him. So we have a two-parter episode guys. So, uh, we are going to air the first part and then we'll be airing the second part at the, hopefully within the next couple of days, probably about by Wednesday, we'll be airing a new pod on our end, uh, with the second episode, uh, second part, I'm sorry of our interview, our great interview, actually, with Amanda Powers and John Perlman of FC Tucson. And guys, um, <clears throat> as United fans, I know we su- we support Premier League through and through larger clubs, um, you know, uh, in La Liga, Spain, you know, in La Liga, Bundesliga, uh, MLS, whatnot. But we have to understand that it was they gave us great insight on the lower level leagues that actually feed into their large clubs and how they need to thrive. So I was uh, honestly, you see, I was I'm not going to say ignorant, but I was I was blind to the fact of 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 the type of bluegrass um, football, you know, that they're trying to promote, especially um, because they're actually in the USL and the USL is just a step below MLS. But but they're from their inception, from what I got out of the interview, is they started at you know, you know, probably you know the the, the lower league, the lower leagues that you know produce you know the, these products that actually went on to USL teams that went on to MLS teams the feeder the feeders you know the feeder schools I want to say. But it gave me a more uh, having a conversation with Amanda and John gave me more of an appreciation of what we need to do. Uh, in American, uh, as as for American football, and how we need to support, you know, these teams, um, these teams as FC Tucson and 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 you know our local clubs, um, if we want a great product, <coughs> excuse me, for the future, and for U.S. men's national, you know, the men's national team, obviously the women, they're on a uh, they're on another plateau, but uh, we want to be one of the top talked about national teams in the world. I think it starts with supporting teams like FC Tucson. And again, I really appreciate the opportunity that they gave us on on interviewing them. Um, and again, EC, thank you for uh, setting that up. Yeah, no, you're welcome. And I, it, it was uh, both of us talked about the idea, so I'm not going to take all the credit. This is a a team venture, so 
you know, we we always we always have ideas. Um, there's there's other folks that we want to bring on to the to the pod. So uh, look forward to to that in the in the in the coming future. But uh, yeah, no, that was a lot of fun, and uh, I'm sure that our fans are going to enjoy it. And like I said, um, look forward to some more content from folks that uh, have some insight into the uh, the soccer world as far as it uh, pertains to them actually working. Uh, in that field so yeah uh, more more cool stuff to come soon guys okay guys without further ado amanda powers and john perlman of fc tucson welcome to Red Army fans i'm asus the man on the other side of the mic is ec hey what's going on man good to see you finally again uh super excited about today it is my extreme pleasure to introduce from FC Tucson, Director of Soccer Operations, John Perlman, and the President at FC Tucson, Amanda Powers. Uh, super excited to have you guys on today. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here with you guys. Thank you for having us. Again, thank you, uh, John and Amanda, for coming on. So uh, I heard you want to interview uh, Don't Read Me podcast. So what questions do you have for us today? <laughs> You're going to figure out our testing issues? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I kid, I kid, I kid. Um, again, uh, guys, uh, we have a, a very special guest today. Um, like I said, Amanda Powers and John Perlman from FC Tucson. I, I had to get used to that, FC Tucson, because I'm used to saying FC at the end of a, end of a team, you know, like Manchester United FC or Chelsea FC. So I'm getting used to that FC Tucson. Um, so... Uh, Doing our, uh, we've done our so uh, again. I've tried to practice this throughout, uh, throughout the interview process. Uh, the so show re so show research show research. Can you? Uh, is that anything? Is that a word? I don't know. Uh, but I've, we've done our prep. Um, but uh, guys, I just want you to ask. You know, just tell our fan base, the Don't Run to Me fan base, who are FC Tucson and who are. Amanda Powers and John Perlman. Well, um, I, I'm the new kid uh, to FC Tucson. I came here on January 1st, 2020. Um, and I hailed from Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I was the COO for New Mexico United. Uh, we did some things out there that I feel pretty proud about. And, um, and, and I can tell you that my short time in Tucson and, and what I've gleaned and kind of actually immersed myself in is that this is a club that's uh, a legacy club. This is a club that's had a longstanding history of being a successful PDL um, club. And, and John Perlman was a coach um, and, and has a very rich uh, soccer history in Tucson itself that he can talk about. Um, but... I think that FC Tucson is is uh, they're 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 fighters and uh, we're a very competitive spirit, um, and we have a pretty dedicated fan base and a very smart fan base here uh, for the game. Very active youth community. We do have an affiliation with the with the youth um, FC Tucson youth here, um, but I would say that. Uh, FC Tucson is sort of an extension of, of, of Tucson itself in Southern Arizona, which is sort of, I think, looked down upon to its uh, neighbor in Phoenix. And there's sort of a chip on the shoulder of folks here in Tucson to, 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 to show that um, it can do great things um, and not necessarily be seen as like the, the little 
the little sister city in the southern part of the state. And uh, of course, you've got U of A here. So there's a really rich um, sports culture. And, um, you know, uh, just as far as I, I as far as I see myself and, and, and how I fit into all this and and feel very supported in all of this is um, I'm a community activist for first who just happens to be in the business of soccer. And um, I think that, you know, we've got we've got a, a lot of opportunities here to tap into the really diverse, multi-ethnic, multicultural city that Tucson is and um, and get this town to really love this team and, and rep that crest. Um, John can probably speak to a, a whole lot more about what FC Tucson is. I'll let him. Well, the man did a great job of, of you know, sort of laying out where we are now. Um, FC Tucson started in December of 2010. Um, it was a two-part event company that featured a uh, what would be a minor league soccer team that ended up playing in what's now USL League Two, but was formerly called the PDL. And then also we started our first MLS preseason game in 2011, where Ralph, Rafa Marquez and Terry Henry and uh, obviously Omar Bravo and Peter Vermees is uh, supporting KC and the Red Bulls played in front of 11,000 people at High Corbett. And then we worked really hard to establish the full-time preseason uh, format, which we have here in Tucson. We've had the last 10 years with, you know, nearly half the league coming through here. And, uh, you know, basically eight of the last 10 MLS championships are teams that have preseason in Tucson. We're very proud of that. Obviously, from a playing standpoint, I was the general manager, and I did coach the team in 17 um, to a conference championship. But uh, we've won, we won numerous conference championships in the PDL and produced, you know, eight current MLS players, you know, maybe 40 current USL players and uh, including uh, right now our national team captain, Aaron Long played here as well. So wow. we have a rich history of producing players. Um, we've had a rich history of uh, hosting, you know, incredible soccer events, but um, for us now, it's really being at the professional level, really seeing our USL league one team, you know, compete on the field and off the field and really having Amanda, you know, coming from New Mexico and seeing the, you know, Oh, it's not overnight success because you put many years into making what they have happen, but we're trying to make sure that we uh, start to grow our fan base and really take our event and, and our team to the level that, you know, is expected in Tucson. Uh, U of A obviously is a rich sports history as well. And our community is a wonderful place to live, a great place to play soccer all year round. So we're, we're here and obviously we got uh, <laughs> sidetracked as the rest of the soccer world has from uh, Man United all the way down through, you know, obviously the minor leagues and youth as well. So uh, we're very optimistic about the future, but uh, right now we're uh, battling like everyone else is in the present to make it uh, meaningful and get our, our players and all the people safely, but back in the field again. Amazing, amazing, amazing history. I guess that y'all actually y'all are just creating basically. Uh, John, you've, uh, it seems like back in 2010, you created the, you know, you're the co the founder of, uh, FC Tucson, am I correct? Yeah, I was one of, to be fair, I was the assistant coach then, and then I bought in right after uh, that that event, and I said, look, this is something we could do. I was brought in, you know, as somebody who had already developed a youth club and had a lot of connections to top college players. I had already been uh, scouting for U.S. soccer, which I do and continue to do since 2010. That was the beginning. Um, I actually had a, you know, the privilege of helping Greg Vanny, who's the coach of Toronto FC, uh, start RSL's academy in Casa Grande. So we, we sort of, I worked for RSL peripherally, helped them establish their academy. And 
I really saw the potential of doing some amazing things because we had some top players in Tucson. We we're looking to give them an environment to play in, which is really what USL League Two does. But we also saw an opportunity where spring training had left Tucson in a very hard way. Uh, stadiums were built in Phoenix very quickly and upgraded, and the teams all wanted to be in the same location without having to bus from Tucson. So these facilities we had here, an incredible facility at Kino Sports Complex on the south side of Tucson, was a $30 million emptied facility. What we did was we repurposed the fields into soccer fields and built a small stadium with basically the goodbye money from the Chicago White Sox and Jerry Reinsdorf and all the teams that had broken their leases and really created a what's now an 18-field soccer complex today and with a small stadium and the opportunities for us was to say, look, MLS, it's very cold in February. You have a lot of teams that can't train. We have a facility that's of the level you need to. We are soccer guys. We understand what you want. We're not some guys trying to sell you some experience without having that experience ourselves. And it really helped launch, you know, for myself opportunities. And, of course, our head coach, Rick Schantz, and my partner is now the head coach of Phoenix Rising, who broke every single record last year on a, a very you know, phenomenal 20-game winning streak and a, a record-breaking season in the USL. So we're looking to take what we've done and duplicate that here. And I think Amanda is the leader we're looking for to, to move us on the next level from a community, from a, a competitive side, and also from obviously, you know, the uh, experience she has in marketing and obviously building a brand. I mean, what you said is a lot to comprehend because you just talk about raising a child and, you know, you know, bringing up a child in, in 10 years, you know, from the infancy stages of what it was, uh, what is FC, what was to FC Tucson to now what it can be. And you've, it seems like you've been lockstep in that process. And that's just amazing. But let uh, first, let, let's get to know you two first. Let's get to know Amanda and John first, and then we let then we can get back and we can talk about F, FC Tucson and where we see USL, USL, where we see American football, and then obviously, hopefully, we can bring it back to the global game because that's what we are, right? We're a Manchester United podcast. We have to talk Manchester United. I have to plug that in real quick. But <laughs> let's just uh, let's first. Let's just get to know Amanda and John first. Yeah, so guys, I've got um, – I'm, I'm super interested. Obviously, your careers are, are absolutely amazing, and they're nowhere near done. Um, and I've got a younger one that's playing soccer, and she's doing really well, and she's kind of getting into where the, the serious end of, of where her career is going to kick off into high school next year. So just for, for myself, for, for younger folks that are, that are interested in, in getting into that field one day, what kind of prepared you guys early in your career – to achieve what you guys have been able to achieve. And that's for both of you guys. Well, I, Go ahead, you start. <laughs> um, I, I, was, I, I, I did not grow up playing soccer, but I grew up being thrown in a pool when I was six months old, <laughs> learned how to swim um, through YMCA system, and then sort of progressed up through there through some very elite clubs in Southern California. Um, you know, and, and I think I was also really introduced to elite training with world-class coaches at Stanford, uh, Skip Richard Richard Quick and Skip Kenny in the 80s, who, you know, uh, coached Olympic teams then. And then I went on to train in the summers at USC with Mark Schubert and Janet Evans and some just really famous, well-known sort of admirable, um, my idols really, 
And um, man, you got to be a, a special kind of mindset uh, or, or we're ready for some punishment to swim up and down a black line for six hours a day. Um, and I think that, that if any, if there's one word that sort of describes, um, you know, what that prepared me for, it's grit and um, an and extreme. And, and also, I would, I would say also sort of visualizing goals into reality. I think when preparation and just being able to stay focused, you know, with swimming and similar to soccer, you know, you're training, you know, 11 months out of the year, competing, you know, pretty much year round. And so you got to, how do you keep that sport fresh? How do you stay motivated? How do you continue to sort of chase the carrot, if you will? And I always had big ambitions to be, you know, an Olympic athlete. And then I think in high school, the reality was like, well, let's try to go D1 and get a scholarship. And then it's like, well, maybe go D2 and get, you know, be a big fish in a little pond, you know. But but um, I would say that it was really my sports, uh, uh, you know, upbringing um, and the grit that I think prepares somebody um, I think not only for life, but also in business or any sort of field, you know, just being able to think big and go after something and, um, and, and try to take advantage of the opportunities that are put in front of you, coaching, mentorship, um, people who come along the path that, you know, are trying to that can see something in you and support you. I, I certainly would not be here today if I did not have some sort of sponsor or some, uh, you know, or angels, however you want to describe them, that kind of came along my path that said, we believe in you. Um, so, and, and I've done some coaching myself, um, but I would just tell your daughter, um, like I tell my nieces, you know, to, to think big and, um, and, and also, you know, focus on that. If you don't get it right away, you got to keep trying, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, I certainly was not what, like a phenom sort of swimmer. I, I, uh, was a little bit thicker <laughs> than I think some of the other, you know, and my body type and all, and I just had to work extra hard. So I'd go and do, you know, 500, you know, sit-ups um, before and after, or, you know, before or after practice and get that extra stuff in um, just to get that edge on the competition. And so it's going beyond, I think, what's required of you in practice sometimes when you want something really bad and and that translates really well to your career, whether that's in professional sports or pursuing, a, you know, um, a career in the front office of a pro sports team. That competitive edge has got to be about winning. Um, no participation trophies for me. Um, uh, no, uh, good on you, but that's not what I grew up with. And um, and and I think this other side of that is humility. You know, for when you don't win. And being able to kind of take those lessons um, when you're not winning to to go back and, and and refine and be committed to to winning the next time. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, you know, if you're a soccer parent, and I've spent in the last 20 years with soccer parents, and I've been a soccer parent um, with all three of my kids. I grew up as a tennis player initially, and from nine years old to 16 years old, I was a I wouldn't say a prodigy, but I was one of those kids who went down to IMG and Nick Boletari. If you've ever seen the HBO, it's a wonderful, very interesting thing to see how he raised Agassi. And Agassi was on court one and I was on court 24. And I would play to my 
till my hands bled and because but my parents were supportive and loving and they spent the time and, and told me that they wouldn't let me quit they wouldn't let me not quit in terms of I could have played any sport I wanted and I ended up falling in love with soccer I mean if you talk about the world game for me it was the 88 European champion someone put this VHS tape in and I watched Marco Van Basten tear mm -hmm. up and it changed it changed everything to me I wanted to be him I wanted to be on the, the Dutch team I wanted that and I'd always played soccer seasonally because where I lived, you could play three sports if you were a good athlete. But at that point, I played Division three, and much like Amanda, again, I was a big fish in a small pond in high school. And then when I went to college, I had to work. I didn't play, and I ended up, you know, winning, becoming captain. But I, I became captain because I won the fitness test because I was the first one there, the last one to leave. I was not the most talented player, and then. When it came to coaching, I initially came down here for law school, but with coaching, it was the same way. I started with no pro background, but I got all my licensing before other people were doing it. And I, I didn't pass all my licenses the first time. And I worked, I would lay cones for anybody who would let me. And then for my players, that was the same expectation I had. I gave them everything. And I would admit when I didn't do well enough, and I would say we all didn't do well enough on that day. So I think the most important thing for your daughter is to understand there's going to be quick rises as she gets and she learns quickly and then plateaus in her as we all have in our career and in our in our growth as a player as a person or as an athlete um but most importantly for her you have to be behind her and tell her when she has to you have to work harder when you hit those plateaus and remind her of all the joy and the laughter and, and the, what the game really what there's a reason you guys are man you fans because emotionally there's no feeling it's a drug there's no feeling like when you guys won the Champions League and ruined my life in, in <laughs> Moscow. And there's also no feeling like, you know, the camaraderie that you have with, with fans or people that you work or you've, you've wanted and loved a common thing and to see it grow and into fruition. So for me, again, we've accomplished a lot of FC2s, but we, we've hit a plateau and Amanda came in to get us to that next level. Um, and we were on, on that path. And right now, You've hit another challenge, and either the strong people are going to be separated from those who don't really want to do it and don't really love what they do. So for me, again, for you, what a journey it can be. With my daughter, she played the state championship. She didn't win, but she decided, look, I want to play tennis now. So now I've shifted all the way back to my roots, but she's from nothing, and she went, and she was good. She was, you know, on the top team and playing and starting every game. They begged her to come back, and she she had the courage to say this, I'm interested in doing this and go all the way to the bottom. And again, you sh you've got to do what you love. And once you realize what that is, there's nothing you won't do to make it a success. Nice. I love that. Thank you guys. So, so did you guys have mentors growing up? Did you have like personalities that you gravitated to or someone that just kind of pulled you and you didn't really expect it? I kind of had that growing up where I had a coach that I really wasn't expecting him to, to look after me, but I did pretty well in in high school and he just kind of looked after me. So did you guys have a mentor like that or a personality that you kind of gravitated to? Yeah. Um, I had an age group coach, um, that it, it had really done a really great job of developing some age group swimmers and, you know, EC, we grew up in San Diego. So, you know, uh, we, we would go out we, to La Jolla Cove and do a lot of open water practices, which is sort of not, it's sort of taboo in the sport. And, um, and and that's part of that fun you know and um he also 
told really bad jokes. <laughs> and I think that that um, kind of helped develop our personalities a little bit. But he wasn't the, he was just a, he was a finesse uh, sort of stroke coach. You know, every coach sort of has their, their secret sauce. And um, his daughter was on the team. And I think that helped. Um, but his name's Mike Smith. He's an Ironman. Uh, he's been doing Ironman since, I, I think, the mid-70s. He's retired now. So it still does them in a cancer survivor. But he had calves that were like, I kid you not, like six inches wide. Um, and I had... And I just, I was in awe by him because even though he had kind of set up some practices for us that, you know, I think there was, by the time I, I prepared to leave this club and go to a more elite club where we went from training six times a week to nine times a week, um, Mike Smith was still my favorite coach because he was hard on you when he needed to be hard on you, but he was, he knew, he, he had all the goods. He knew how to be funny. He knew how to push you. Um, and he knew how to call you on your BS, you know, and um, especially when it's that day in, day out and really taught, you know, not to have excuses. Um, and, you know, and I'm still in touch with him today. I just moved here to Tucson and I was going through some of my, my effects and things from, from those days. And I was texting with him some of these old pictures, these old signatures from I have banquet programs from back then. Um, and so I, Mike comes into my mind really clearly because there's a reason why I'm carrying those things around. You know, those were the those were those moments that I think really shape us as human beings. And and yeah, of course, I have some mentors and some sponsors today that, you know, that work with me, but not necessarily on the athletic side. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, you know, I ran into a lot of interesting I think I think what I what I learned from a young moment is that when you when you're developing a sport, you're gonna have many, many coaches. And I had many different coaches in that span. And I really in the first part of it, I've never overly gravitated to one single set. I I would realize the value, and I've had so many coaches with so many incredible values and to teach me. But um as I got into my career, I, I really started to get influences as I became a coach by coaches, even more than I was as a player. And with that, you know, the, the names uh, are, you know, are, are iconic names in the game here. I mean, in, you know, in, two, in Arizona, you know, Harry Demos, who produced, um, you know, a team that produced a number of players that, you know, ended up playing for the U.S. national team and up in Phoenix and still does that. Here in Tucson, Wolfgang Weber is the all-time winningest high school coach pretty much in the entire country. has been here for a long time. But, you know, for me, when we started doing – I started doing my licensing, started doing the preseason here. I mean, I'm so spoiled in the sense for the last 10 years, the conversations I've been able to have with Brian Schmetzer, with Chris Armis, with, um, you know, guys like Caleb Porter, guys that have won the US Cup, guys who've played at the highest level. And then with those players who have gone through the years of training, you know, guys like Kyle Beckerman and Graham Zuzzi, and these guys who are just, some now are sort of in the twilight there and talking about what it meant to them and where the moments were and having those casual conversations and trying to create your own style of leadership and try to create your own style of coaching, which is what I did. I never tried to be Greg Vanny, but there's bits of what Greg Vanny showed when he was in here and when he's been with Toronto and the conversations I've had. There's bits of a lot of great coaches in me, but it has to be, look, I'm a, I'm a Jewish kid from New York who's sarcastic. Within the framework, I have to be the best version of that person as a corporate leader, as a 
coaching leader, as a, a leader of my my children. But I have to be authentic because the thing people see through the most is a lack of authenticity and honesty as players now. In the old days, it was we would do whatever our coach told us when I grew up. But now they want to know why, and they want an explanation. An explanation has to make sense based on their framework. And if you provide that, and you can see that even at the highest level now, Mourinho is not going to win by just being Mourinho. Mourinho has to adapt and change who he is. He has to become something new. All of the top coaches, Guardiola has had to evolve, even, even though he's won at the highest level, if he stays that same person. And to realize the only thing you, is, is continuous is that you don't have the answers. But what you have to show your players and your and Amanda showed me as, as a leader of this organization, you have to always be looking for the answers and be willing to pivot and change when someone comes up with a better way of doing things than you are. And that's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. And admitting that you're fallible to your players and to your to your coworkers is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength because it means you're evolving and then they can evolve with you and you can become even more than you ever thought you would be. Nice. No, 100%. We, we're, we're dealing with a new manager now, so I think that's difficult for fans to digest, but I, I agree with that 100%. John, you're saying such nice things. I know. I'm like, I'm like in awe. It's not because it's because because this what this time offers is is close quarters. It's there's less. Where Amanda and I might have not, we had we have two divisions. Amanda's handles. Listen, she's the, she's the she's the big cheese. But the reality is, I should be handling right now the operational side of a soccer team and a lot of the business side of it because the massive amount of things that would be going on and the number of members of our staff that we had as we've been condensed, as we've been in this moment, of course, we have to figure out who we are as people and how we interact and what's important to each other. So it's not that man and I don't listen, we had it the other, we had it the other three days ago, but <laughs> nothing unnatural about that. That's actually where some learning happens. But for, for me, again, these times are not easy for anyone. Even if you're not working when you're home, are you, home are you really in that moment you know because you're thinking about everyone's thinking about their job their livelihood people that they love are struggling people's healths are struggling so i mean again you know sport is a way of uniting people and you know and to not have that even as a, as a as a break has been very hard for people to to be able to relax and worry about something else and take their mind off it um do you think do you think this time the same thing and it's just Look, I'll be the first one to tell you, I'm looking for the answers. I don't, I don't <laughs> have the answers. And the questions are so many and so large now when it comes to what we're going through now. And in general, the pursuit of excellence that, you know, look, you were man united. And Ferguson didn't have the answers to begin with. And in today's environment, he would have been kicked out way before he had a chance to win. You guys would have ran him out on the rails. 100%. So give, give your guy a chance. Give him... I, I really say that. I mean, give him a few years to figure it out and you'll yeah. know, but you can't give people months or so man and I are fighting for enough years to prove that what we're doing here is going to evolve to the next level. So that fight is common amongst, look, the only thing in sports is impermanence. A man and I aren't going to sit and tell you we're going to be at SC Tucson for the next 20 years because that almost never happens. <laughs> what you do is create systems and structures and ideals, and she's really the leader of this, that will outlast our presence here and allow people to build off that. I mean, that's that's the ultimate goal. The problem is someone has to get the mail right now. Someone has to 
do the Twitter for the Rocket League. Someone has to, while that's all going on. I mean, that's the wild thing for you guys. I, I assume you guys are pretty self-contained unit, but if you're looking to add people, now's not really the time. You- <laughs> yeah, it's not that. There, there's a, there's an option on the table, but I don't think we're going to give Matt the offer. I don't know. Just shout out to Matt. He, he's yeah. a good. As, as, as being where we're at right now, self-quarantined, has it given, you know, y'all too much time to like question yourself, think, or I mean, just go back and forth on decisions you made and, or things like that. I mean, it seems like, it seems like, you know, having that, you know, being by yourself, uh, from what John said, it seems like there's a lot of um, a lot of things that you know you, that need you know need to go on, and and it's just yeah. it's too much time to think. I think right, not enough time to get things done. Well, I would so just to paint a picture, uh, you know, we were we were trailing at least what do you say, John? Four months behind our other teams in League One in terms of being prepared for the 2020 season when. Um, I, I had come down to Tucson with my husband. I was I was doing some consulting for a team and the USL Championship team in Tulsa, um, and living in New Mexico and spending my time there. And I came out over uh, Thanksgiving break break and and met Perlman and a few other people. And they pretty much outlined the opportunity in Tucson. And the next week, I said, "Sign me up." And I pretty much left my husband back in Albuquerque and moved down here. And we just hit the ground running, you know, how do you kind of, um, you know, how do you go and and how do you kind of like build an ethos and a culture and and kind of revise your mission and, and really know who you are when you've got now a new person, you know, new to the city, working now with the founder of the club. Um, And how do you try to build some, you know, systems and get your staff ready to go and talk about like, well, how are we going to do this thing? How are we going to launch a season on March 28th? You know, when we don't have, and then, oh yeah. And then add the MLS preseason event, which is a six week long event that we host. Um, it's a lot. And, um, and we had so much momentum going. We were really starting just the early beginnings of building that revisiting with our supporters. We had a listening party, um, you know, that was really well attended. And then we had this amazing kickoff event where people are like, yeah, okay, FC Tucson. I hadn't heard of him before, but now I'm a fan, you know? And we, we were feeling that in the business community and, and really refreshing, I think, a lot of the, the folks who had been sticking by FC Tucson for a long time. And we kick off ticket sales on March 11th. And then March 12th, we're told the season's suspended. Uh. Um. And, and I think my initial reaction to this and, and John's purview is really different because he's living with his wife's a head charge nurse at an ICU. So, you know, we, I just did what I do, you know, like you're on the battlefield and you just got to shift, pivot, keep going and also maintain calmness, even though I think in reality, uh, that March 12th date and the subsequent days felt like 9-11. I don't know if you guys felt that, but I just felt like there was this massive kind of collective consciousness felt like all around the planet at the same time that maybe hadn't been felt since 9-11 of like, what is it? What does this mean? This this is crazy. And um, and so we spent the following week, I think it was a little bit 
you know, we had just we had just hired ten people to our staff. A couple of folks had just moved here from across country. Um, you know, we got new computers. We had just, you know, we we had our swag for the season coming in, our scarves, our you know opening day flags, which I got one here with me right now. I got to send you guys some, but um, uh, you know, we were gonna have like this massive opening night with flags and really and and it was just so disorienting. And, um, and, you know, for me personally, you know, I, I, I feel like very much like, okay, you've, you know, this is, you're the captain of this ship and you've got to be strong right now. But I think, you know, at the same time, you've, you've got to, um, you know, admit what you don't know right now. And, and I think after a week of this was going on, Pearl pulls me aside and he says, Amanda, we got to shut it down. We got to get people home. Like this, we just don't know, you know, he was getting early stories from his wife of kind of what she was seeing and what she was hearing from the ground floor. So we moved our entire operation virtually, um, which is really antithetical to typical sports offices. I mean, our, our industry is all about energy. It's all about high-fiving teams, you know, kind of face-to-face, that contact. Um, and we were not set up for virtual work. And then, of course, I've got a new staff, like some kids with, you know, that had started out with as interns with us, and now it's their first job. And, um, you know, it is just ext- all I can say. And then I was immediately um, assigned. Both, both John and I are board of governors for the United Soccer League, um, so we started hopping on some board of governor calls. Um, the the league organized very very well, so. You know, the league basically put together a hiatus task force with training moratorium starts to go into effect. Um, then we've got president's roundtables, board of governors meetings, primarily focus on medical issues and how do you kind of resume play uh, or even a return to, to training. And, um, you know, it's just heavy. You're on like eight of these calls a week. And now all of a sudden you're all your focus is on COVID and then, you know, you still have to maintain a digital presence. We shifted a bit. We're playing some esports, you know. Yeah, um, watching. Yeah. You guys so, killing it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we got the championship on Saturday. and um, But, I mean, to be really honest, you know, I, it, uh, I, I had to, going back to your, you know, it's like as athletes, as competitors, like, and, and, and I think all of, everybody's feeling this right now, like, we just need to get right size and recognize that we, nobody, nobody has the answers to this. Nobody. Nope. I mean, there's just so many permutations and computations and variables and moving parts. And, um, and I've, I've really appreciated like working with different presidents from other clubs um, around the league and league executives who are asking us, what, what do we think, you know, and we're sort of, you know, channeling information from the club level all the way up to to the league level to help them make decisions that ultimately are, you know, going to U.S. soccer. Um, So, you know, and, and, you know, unfortunately, too, we had to make some really tough choices um, because, and I, you know, and I I had an early conversation with um, our head coach, John Gallus, um, and John Perlman, and I said, hey, guys, do we think this is going to be bad? we need to have kind of like an ethos discussion right now. Like how bad do we think this is going to be? And we're like pretty bad. You know, we don't know what that means. 
you know, everybody's talking about it, but we're, we're looking around and we're like, well, we're okay right now, you know, but okay. If this is going to be bad, there's going to be a lot that's going to be asked of us from the community. There's going to be a lot of need and we don't know when our players are going to be coming, you know, back. And yes, we have guaranteed contracts through the end of October. Um, but we don't know what the needs of the community are going to be, but do I have your commitment that we need warriors, you know, that this is where soccer really in my mind and why I love working in soccer is, has the secret sauce. You know, this is, this is, we have the sport and the spirit that can go into the community and be of service in any way that might be. So, you know, we're setting up blood drives. Um, we are make John's mother-in-law. We, we launched a bandana. We had two different bandanas this year before COVID even came out. We were already doing bandanas, which was weird, but, um, you know, his mom's making some masks out of one of our bandanas right now to get right. to frontline workers. Send one, please. <laughs> yeah, no, we're going to send you guys a little swag pack. Um, and you know, and, and I think that's the thing is that I just really had to believe that this is the time where people's mit corporate missions are tested, personal missions, your own values. You know, you can talk a good game about what you think your company stands for, your club stands for, um, or what you believe. Now it's really being tested. And, um, and I'm, and it's not something that we can just market our mark, you know, marketing, clever marketing campaign is going to get us through this. What it's going to require is the grit and being like really authentic and, and listening to our people and what our fans and our, you know, neighborhoods are needing, you know, so that that's kind of the ethos and the spirit of the club. And John, um, John and I, you know, I, he had me at hello when I met him in November. Um, I just knew that this was a man that I could do business with. I believe in him. I want, I honor, you know, what he's done for this club. And, um, we, we strategize quite a bit and we, and I think we think very, very similar, maybe, maybe to a fault, maybe a little bit too much game theory going on right now, but, um, you know, we're, we are very, very busy and, and, you know, and inheriting the work of the folks that we did have to kind of temporarily furlough, it, it was disorienting. But I can tell you that this week, I, for me anyway, you know, felt a little bit more normal, definitely still very busy. Um, but, you know, just kind of getting through those first initial three or four weeks of just like, man, you know, getting more and more information, um, sometimes is not necessarily better information. Um, and so I just kind of turned off the news as much as I could just give me some medical graphs and try to surround ourselves around people who are actually trying to find solutions, you know? I think, um, I was thinking you say, are you bored? And I'm saying, I wish I was, I, I'm not, I'm not wishing for boredom, but I'm, the releases are harder to find when you're confined a bit. Um, we have a tremendous amount of, the, the reality was, we were up against it before we even went into COVID from a planning and a business standpoint. And we were going to, we had to, we were still getting comfortable saying it's not all going to happen this year. Then when we, get to, it's maybe not any of it going to happen this year. There were some things to do. There's, there's long-term planning they want to do, but when you're doing long-term planning, we're a soccer team. And the best thing about being in a soccer team is there's a soccer game at the end of it. There's a win or a loss or a mo you know or a moment. Mm -hmm. 
Actually, I'm yearning for one. I'm I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on the podcast. Yes, you know? Get, get you after it, John. I'm, I'm holding my tongue, John. We're basically we're, we're doing all we're all doing all the shit that's let the least amount of fun about running a soccer team. Now, some of it's very interesting and intellectually, I've never been more stimulated by a time in my life. I mean, it's an amazing time. But in terms of releases, you don't have the one thing that you always you're doing this for. It's yeah. Game, a game that lasts 90 minutes. Everything we do is only so that these players are able to get on the field and hopefully win for our for our team. I mean, that's what we do. And so you're doing all this preparation in that game. I mean, look, I love Rocket League and I signed the ringer and Trent, but Trent was but that was done as part of all the other little things we do, which is look, we have sponsors that are expecting us to activate. I mean, we had to have a winner to keep the business going. We need to keep them in the in the in the forefront of our of our, our people and everyone's mind in the community. Our businesses need to succeed if we're going to have them back as partners. So, uh, for me, also, man, it brings up a great point. And then, if you want to, and listen, these are all first world problems. I have a really wonderful house, and I, we have enough space. But the reality is. It's hard for my wife and I to connect because she's so tired after being through that and it depends on how bad her day is. And she has to do multiple in a row. She doesn't want to talk to me. She doesn't want to be romantic. She doesn't want to, you know, she, she wants to have her energy so her kids, the first thing that's going to happen is she's got to check on her three kids and that's going to take an amount of energy. So this is hard on people's relationships and my wife and I are fine, but it's hard, but you, but it takes understanding. So how are you feeling today? Are you up for a walk? Are you, do you need some time? Or you have to really go out of your way. When all of us didn't have to go out of our way before, we had a nice rhythm. All the rhythms have changed, and they're going to change for a long time. And we really need to be cognizant of you guys work together. The way you're working together now, even though it's it's different now, you've got to ask your buddy what he's going through and what he's going to ask you what you're going through so you can come to a place where you can do work. I mean, I'll tell a man – Amanda, Amanda knows right now. I know now for Amanda to understand, if we have a calendar, I have to tell her that, look, all she needs to know is 6 o'clock to 9, It's I'm playing board games with my family. She yeah. to do that. But if she doesn't, if I don't know she's doing something with Malcolm, you can be damn sure I'm calling her going, what the <laughs> hell are we going to do about this weird small sponsor that doesn't need to be dealing with? Because that's how we used to work. Yeah. How we used to attack. We were 18 now. The sports world is not an out. It doesn't have days of the week. It's all days of the week. Now no one knows what goddamn day of the week it is, and nobody knows what it is. It's Groundhog Day. So, it's Groundhog Day. It's like that movie from uh, Bill Murray. It's like you get yes, it's, the, it's like my favorite movie. Six Groundhog Day. Six yeah. o'clock. Bing. Six o'clock. I'm like, oh. I got you, babe. Yeah, it's, no, it's 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 real. The real challenge is what what I'm getting back to is learning how to work during this is a challenge. We already were all learning how to work together. New head coach, four returning roster guys, wow. new medical team, new. I mean, it was it's it wasn't ground. We was like this. I always laugh at this company. It's like every year seems to be like the startup year. I'm a ten year startup now because <laughs> so because what we did the league you didn't retain players in the league two. They moved on, and that was how you got more good players. That you had a reputation. Where nobody dreams of of ending their career at FC Tucson. That's understandable. We're 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 a place where we would grow talent. We take young people that have talent. We let them make big time mistakes, and we've moved guys on to the Sounders and to Orlando. That's part of it. And look, 
you know, my family lives here or I might not be here if we didn't have such love and affinity for Tucson. So all these challenges make it so bored is not trying to slow my mind down and trying mm-hmm. to have some peace. I mean, there's only so much legal melatonin you can take, you know, <laughs> you start not feeling it anymore. And it's just one of these things where every some days are good days and some bad days. And the bad days, you have to be able to tell people, I'm shutting it down today, other than this was due because you know the video you do exactly what's due that day and then you move on because you can't be expected to be right now everyone's working about sixty percent as well as they would normally work. These are yeah. yeah. not human beings thinking about the larger picture. And players can be great like that because not every player is a rocket scientist. Some of them are very thoughtful, but some of them, are, the fact that they have a, they're singularly focused on playing is a good thing because I don't want them worrying about the things that Amanda and I are worrying about. Them. I want them keeping their bodies ready. I want them doing some things for the community. I want them playing with their friends. They're, they're young. They're 23, 22, 18. They should be enjoying themselves. I want them doing that, but I want them to be ready so they don't lose their careers. Um, and, and we're, we're really just, we're trying to you know, aim it, trying to bring it down to three things, but every three things spawns another three things. Because Amanda and I are idea people and we can't shut that down and then we lose who we are. Well, that was part one of our interview with Amanda Powers and John Perlman of FC Tucson. Again, thank you, y'all. All right, let's talk about uh, United, right? There's yeah. been uh, some news going on in the, in the, uh, in the past couple of week, week, week and a half <coughs> in regards to players. You see, um, obviously, the biggest transfer target that we have today is Jaden Sancho. Um, the rumor is, um, it seems like we're always, all we're talking about EC is rumors. And I hate that. I hate speculation. I'm not a big fan of it. I more, I like concrete, but I know, um, that's all we have to go off of right now, especially the transfer market has, it hasn't even started. Uh, and it has a long way to end if, 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 if the transfer market is going to end in August. So obviously we're going to be talking about speculation for the next the foreseeable future until a concrete contract comes through or concrete transfer comes through. But Jaden Sancho, our biggest target, I believe, in um, in this go-around, uh, I think it would probably be Ole's, one of Ole's premier, you know, transfers. Um, I think Bruno's probably, Bruno is probably his keystone, but I think Jaden Sancho will be one of his... Um, one of his premier transfers that he's going to go out and if he's able to get um, a, 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 somebody of like uh, like Jaden Sancho. But it seems like there's become a little snag. Uh, there was some there's some people that said that <clears throat> due to this coronavirus, uh, United had a leverage in pursuing and uh, get in prying Jaden Sancho away from Borussia Dortmund, especially at a lower price. It, before all this coronavirus stuff happened, we already knew that if United want to get Jaden Sancho, they're already looking at a hundred million. I think I think the I think the top end was one twenty. See, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure you probably heard that of one hundred twenty million pounds or euros or whatever you want to call it. Um, with this virus coming, you know, into effect, and a lot of these clubs that are lower level clubs that don't have the 
financial reach as United or you know, say as United or Madrid or or whatnot. Uh, they they're they're talking about the price tag of you know that 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 player coming down. Well, you see, um, the Bundesliga is looking to start up games here in May. Closed door games, obviously, uh, but starting up games would, I mean, it doesn't benefit United that they will because I think Borussia Dortmund said that they don't have to sell United. They don't have to sell Jaden Sancho. It really is no, there's, there are no benefit until, unless their price tag is met. Um, does Borussia Dortmund playing games hurt or hinder United? And do you think that United will purchase East, uh, I'm sorry, will purchase Jane Sancho at an over overpriced rate? Or do you think we can get him for, I'm not saying a bargain because we paid what, 75 million for Harry Maguire, um, but for a price range that suits the, the player's capabilities. Yeah, I, I think the bargain is over, um, and that, that does hurt us um, be, because you, you had the interview come out with Woodward the other day uh, saying that we're not going to spend, not nothing, but we just weren't going to spend a whole lot of cash uh, during the summer, and I, I believe him. Um, you're, you're looking at you know 50 for Wambasaka, 80 for Harry Maguire, another 50 for Bruno, with, with the potential of having uh, Igalo sign for 200 grand a week. Um, we're, we're, we're paying, you know, quite a few people, um, as it is right now. Um, and we'll talk about swaps and what that means later, but yeah, with the Bundesliga being able to, um, you know, basically take care of their TV contract by playing these games, Bruce Dortmund is going to look at United and say, look, um, you're going to have to come in for at least a hundred. That's just a starting talking point. If you can do that. Uh, fine, because I think Jordan J- Jaden has another year on his contract anyway, and he also has uh, Champions League football sitting there for him. So um, I still think he wants to come. That's just my that's what my gut tells me. I have no insider. You know, I don't I haven't heard anything. I just know that um, the way that it's been playing out, um, I think coming back to England and proving that he is a a top player um, in the Premier League. I think that would really uh, mean something for him. Um, I think he's a city kid by uh, by way of trade. I think that's where he started uh, and, and has been sent out to, to uh, Brewster Dortmund and has, has put on a show uh, since he's been there. So, um, no, I, I think it can happen. I just think that it's now to where we're going to have to let go of some folks. Um, I've heard um, Damian's name pop up. I don't know how much you'd get for him. Um, obviously, Pereira, um, even Jesse, possibly. Um, that might get you started into uh, putting some funds away so you can maybe get to Sancho. But those are players we're already, we're already looking to get rid of anyway, you see. I mean, uh, Pereira, I think, has proven his worth, which is, I think he's worth, you know, go somewhere else. I mean, I'm, you know, I've already, you've, I've already said my piece on Pereira. Uh, Jesse Lingard as well. I think those are pieces that we're already going to get rid of. I think that with this news coming, I was very hopeful that we get a Jane Sancho at a lesser rate, lesser price, and it'll be more of a bargain, especially when, you know, with the time this coronavirus thing happened, they're talking about players, teams, uh, you know, taking, you know, pay cuts and, you know, having to restructure their financial business. Um, I don't, I don't see. 
other than the TV revenue, I think that was already there. And if the, if the Bundesliga is going to keep, I mean, because they're going to have to play games behind closed doors, right? That's, Absolutely. So they're not going to get the fan revenue, the day-to-day, game-to-game fan revenue. I don't, maybe just call me an optimist. I still don't think, I still think that we can get them at a cheaper price. And I think, I think Borussia Dortmund will be, will be willing to sell uh, because that's who Borussia Dortmund are. Um they're going to want to look for the best price, and uh, if United are not going to want to pay what they originally thought they were going to pay, $100 million, uh, they can bring it down to $80 million, uh, $75 million for a player of that caliber. Uh, I'm not, again, he's, not, he's, not, he's playing in the Champions League, but I don't know if he's proven himself to be a superstar player in the, in the regards of having that big money contract, uh, that big money fee. I don't think he's that there yet, um, but I think Borussia Dortmund will probably be willing to sell because I think I don't think the money is going to be there that they think that they think it is. You know, people are going to watch it on TV, but the TV money is already there. The TV money revenue is already there. Uh, the only thing that's going to benefit is that uh, it's going to benefit the Bundesliga network or whomever is going to be posting the Bundesliga network because they're going to have soccer fiends around the world just tuning in. Like myself, don't watch the Bundesliga on a constant basis, but you, you bet me, you bet, you know, you bet your ass that I'm going to be tuning in on either ESPN Plus, I think Fox, no, sorry, I think Fox is the one that here in the States that airs it on uh, Fox Sports 1. You bet your ass I'll be watching Mines and Cologne probably or, you know, these lower level teams. So the, I think the TV revenue for the, the teams were, was already there. It's only going to benefit. It's only going to benefit the broadcasters, not not in my opinion, not the teams. <coughs> Excuse me. As far as for Jaden Sandro, uh, I know you think with his relationship with with Rashford and and Lingard, uh, I'm going to agree with you. I think he wants to come back to England and prove him prove his worth in the Premier League, uh, unless unless a, unless a Real Madrid comes calling. But I think he wants, you know, he wants to come back um, to play for a club in the, you know, in the Premier League. And I think there's also talks about Chelsea already throwing their hat in the mix with that. Um, but let's hope, you know, United weather the storm. But I don't want, I don't want United to sell the plot, you know, to get one player, or the, you know, to get multiple players, and then we can um, move on from there because. Um, you know, selling the plot and getting one player is just, we've already done that, right? Yeah, no, we've done it. And I think if you look at West Ham, they're actually furloughing their players. So I think Grealish, when you're talking about um, discounted rate, I think we could probably get him at a discounted rate because if you're furloughing employees and if they did it across the board, clearly money is something that they're going to need. They're obviously in a battle down there anyways. So I think we could probably get him at a discounted rate. Um, I don't know if, if Madison's still on the radar or not. I think Koulibaly's kind of step up into everyone's radar to kind of pair beside Harry Maguire. But um, I agree after listening to Woodward. I mean, he was pretty open about what he wants to do during this open window, the one that comes up. Um, I don't see us doing four or five uh, brand new players. I think it's going to either be the Jaden the, the deal or – you know, if we can get him at a, at a discounted rate or you look at maybe Koulibaly and, and, and Jack Grealish, um, you know, to to cap it at just 100, 100 million. That's uh, 
That's what I think. <clears throat> we'll save the Kulabali um, talks for another pod because I have my my feelings about that. And uh, again, we'll save that. We'll we'll save that for another pod. But getting back into uh, financials, EC. Um, there's also been talks about Paul Pogba and Madrid. Those resurfaces again. I think the Paul Pogba is you know going to another club is is not going to stop. But they said uh, it was interesting. I heard Madrid might not be willing to pay for Paul Pogba in this go around, especially with the um, with the, the Spanish league already saying that they're going to be playing games behind closed doors. With Madrid being being Madrid, obviously global power. You know, needs, you know, needs, you know, they have enough monies in their coffers. But losing that much revenue, you know, of fan revenue, I think it was said that they might not want to spend, I think Zidane wants to bring in more than one player. <clears throat> Just like what you said, uh, what Ed Woodward said, spending all their money on Paul Pogba might not be the best for Madrid. From what Zidane, I think, I don't know if he's quoted or... Uh, excuse me, somebody had mentioned it. Paul Pogba to Madrid, um, honestly, do you think it's a go, especially if if Madrid, if La Liga are going to be playing games behind closed doors? I don't think they have the financials for it, and I think that's because United have kind of set that 90 in front of Paul Pogba's name, 90 to 100, and I don't think they have the funds to do it. Um, which is funny to me because it seems like Zidane's number one is Kylian Mbappe, and Kylian's you're looking at 200. If 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 the market was open, Corona or not, I mean, I I think he's um, a world class striker. I don't even think he's 22. He might be 22, but um, no, I don't I don't think I think the timing sucks for Madrid if this is what they're trying to do. And I think Pogba was ready to bolt if some of the moves, and I even think it goes back to Wambasaka and Maguire um, being there and him seeing their development. And then you bring in Bruno. I think now he's starting to see what the vision is because I know for me, um, especially early on, I thought, well, we're losing all these games or we're drawing all these games to teams we should be beating. Um, Now you're starting to see kind of um, a formation that they want to run. Um, when the game starts, it gets a little muddy. I'm not going to lie. But as far as the players that he wants to bring in, I don't think anyone can argue that he's made a step wrong. So I think Pogba is going to be in a United shirt next season. Um, and I think what will wind up happening is he'll sign a really a huge deal uh, with us, not a long-term deal. But I think after the season's over, um, if next year people start playing with fans, um, and money's generated, revenue's generated, I think then you may see a move um, for two big players, I think Pogba and Mbappe to Madrid, um, after next season's played out. <coughs> Excuse me. I agree, EC. I don't think it, right now, probably the best thing for the Pogba lovers uh, to, un- that's to stay at United was probably the best, the coronavirus was probably the best thing. Uh, I think what it did was, it now has given Pogba time to rest, uh, given the United injured players time to rest. And if, if if your wish is true and they do finish the season, I think United will be running on all on all cylinders. 
uh, for a, you know for a sprint run to the end of the season, um, and with the lock the lack of revenue uh, for other clubs to play to pay that for that type of transfer, and I thought it was going to be more like a hundred fifty million and not, not you know not no hundred to ninety million, but I mean I think that 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 number has fluctuated. I think it the it has benefited United and. Hopefully we can get a Paul Pogba that you know has is all in. If we give him a new contract, he signs for it. I don't want to hear this bullshit about well, you know, my agent says one thing and you know my place says another because you know he he goes in and out in in and out again. I want him to give it all for the shirt. If we're going to be paying him the type of money that a Paul Pogba deserves, a type of you know uh, of a superstar a status that he you know that he thinks he deserves. Not well, even well, not, he doesn't deserve. Not even that though. If he gets hurt again, he's going to get that injury prone tag to him. He this is the this is going to be his. If he gets hurt again, it'll be his third injury in the same year. And we only have nine games left. So if you're a club that wants to spend a hundred million, uh, ninety, a hundred, hundred fifty million, you're not spending any money on someone that's guaranteed to get hurt every year or at least three or four times a year. So he has to. This is really for me. That's why I said. It's kind of a um, it's a it's a win win for for the club because if he plays amazing, we're gonna do great, and when it's time to sell him, we're gonna be able to sell him top dollar. So he's gotta he's gotta come back mentally sharp. He's gotta come back fresh, and then he's gotta cross his fingers and and his toes that he doesn't get hurt again because you know their clubs are big on like what's this guy's injury rate? Like yeah. is he gonna be able to stay fit? Because we're gonna give him two hundred grand a week, and all he's doing is sitting on the bench collecting that check. So. Um, I think for me, he's going to want to prove all of those people that he can do it. I hope that he does. Cause again, seeing him and Bruno together, I think it's going to be amazing. But again, we got to wait, we got to, we got to wait it out. We got to, you know, like everybody else, be patient and hope, hope, hope guys that this Bundesliga thing, it works out. Cause if they, somebody gets sick or something happens, trust me, it's going to have a domino effect and we're not going to see football for a while. So I'm hoping it goes well. They're they're gonna they're gonna be the first ones to step their toes in the water, and see how it works. And I am I'm super supportive. I'm a little skeptical about it. I'm a little bit nervous about it. But you know what? If it works out, then you'll start to see countries go. Okay, look, they're doing it in Germany. Maybe we can do it in Spain. Maybe we can do it in England. And then eventually, uh, the United States has been hit probably the hardest of of all of them. So. Um, I just I just hope that we get back uh, as soon as possible. Not for sure. Well, uh, let me give you some comedy, EC. I'm going to give you some little comedy, and it's in regard to Paul Pogba, but not at Paul Pogba. I'm going to laugh with Paul Pogba. Uh, reports out of, um, I think you said the the Daily Sun or uh, rag, some rag in, 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 in England. Uh, yeah. Reports of PSG wanting a swap deal with, you know what? You want to know who? Who? <laughs> Do you think it's Neymar? You see, Pop, you know, Pogba swap deal. Neymar? It's gotta be. It's gotta be Neymar. Gotta be? Nah, no, 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 <laughs> not Neymar. Cavani? Uh, Cavani's old, so we're gonna take Cavani out. Uh, what about Mbappe? Swap deal for Mbappe? I'd do that in a New York second. New York, I, I would too, EC. We were, we're in talking a New about York that, second, right? and right. no question. Mm-hmm. Twenty-seven years old to twenty-two, and this kid's a world in a heartbeat. You know who it is, GC, and who you're gonna laugh. Who? It is the failed number seven, the failed <laughs> number seven, 
<laughs> Mr. Angel Di Maria. They want to Mama Mia. Mama Mia Di Maria, right? <laughs> <laughs> they want to. Rumors are that they that they want to actually. I think I saw that Julian Drexler and uh, Angel Di Maria were included in that swap deal for Paul Pogba to go back to his home country, and and it's just this has to be fake. I mean, not even fake. It just has to be some good old banter that you know they're trolling United fans because. Um, <laughs> I mean, Di Maria failed, you know, here at United. Um, we, I mean, we paid, we lost money in that deal, and you want us to lose money in the Pogba deal? I mean, God, it's just stupid. Yeah, it was first reported by uh, Sky Sports on Twitter, and then when you dig in between the lines, um, I was listening to um, Adam McCall talk about how that story actually came from the Sun-Times, and for those of you who don't uh, listen to any English commentators that's kind of like our star or inquire magazine that's kind of what the daily sun is and so you can't take that basically what you can do is you can take that and say that's quarantine football for you that's what you know you have to try to drive uh tickets and numbers and clicks and if you say paul pogba people are gonna go what what happened um but no this is a total never gonna happen uh shout out to Di maria he was a great player i won't even say great he was a good player at madrid um, super excited to get him, and it didn't work from day one to the day he left. Um, he's doing better in the French League. Um, no disrespect to the French League, but it's not the Premier League, but he's doing better there. But that would be a horror. If they, if they did that, that would be a horrible well, – I don't even care if they threw uh, someone else in. I can't remember the name you were saying, but the, it, it wouldn't work. No, I know. It would be horrible. Um, you know, I, I want to say he's in his 30s now, something like that. No, maybe yes. so yeah it, it it wouldn't work but trust me when i saw it i'm thinking okay sky sports i'm like oh well shit he's he's out but um no i like i said i think you hit it on the head i think you you nailed it when you said the fact that we have this this coronavirus going on i mean think about it we'd be what four or five games in so we'd have like four left um we would have played in the fa cup you know you also have you know, the Europa, everything would have been moving, um, storylines. Pogba would have been back at this point playing. So there's, there, like you said, the coronavirus and the shutdown really cemented the fact that he'll he'll be back. So it's, so it's kind of unfair to, to speculate, but, I mean, you can, you can pretty much see that have everyone's making the same revenue and everyone's making money and, the, and they're selling out $75,000. Uh, 75,000 people stadiums uh, and making money, then you can probably make a deal um, for Paul. But at this point, um, you know, a swap or a, a player swap, I, I don't, I don't see it happening. Oh no, God no! I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather bring in Zlatan. You know, let's player swap for Zlatan or you know an old ass player than you know bring in Adelie Maria again. Um, Another another interesting story coming out of uh, out of the UK uh, EC, and I think that's something if it <clears throat> if it does come you know come true, uh, the Saudi takeover of Newcastle United, I think United would have dodged a bullet in getting involved with the the Saudi family. Uh, again, we know we've had our discussions about the Saudi family, and when we talked about the. 
um, the Glazer episode. It was probably, I think, what, our second or third episode. Uh, I had gave, I voiced my opinions about uh, getting involved with uh, that lot. And I think uh, if this comes true, and obviously New, it'll, it'll bring, it probably will bring Newcastle back up to where they were uh, when they had Alan Shearer, you know, that level to contending for titles. But... I didn't want to get uh, I didn't want to get in bed with uh, in bed with the uh, with that uh, with that type of money you know I just I don't agree with what what they're do I don't agree with their politics I don't agree with what they've done um, obviously you and I are in, in the oil and gas industry and you could see how the uh, how they what they've done with OPEC and how they've choked uh, the United States oil and gas market but that's another topic for another type of show uh, <coughs> but I've expressed my opinions about the Saudis and their uh, on their you know human rights violations um, if if United had if they purchased United uh, I wouldn't be a United fan I would actually give my fandom up um, but what's your opinion about them purchasing Newcastle um, don't like their business love their money uh, I love what it could potentially do for Newcastle. Um, they already have a crazy fan base. Like their fan base is probably one of the best in the world. Um, stadiums, amazing um, atmosphere, um, just just amazing. So yeah, to get them back to the ninety five, ninety six type years, um, I want to say they're like sitting at eleventh in the table right now, something like that. Um, money, money is one of the things that you know in the Premiership anyway. It can, as you look at our, our noisy neighbors, um, it can bring you a lot of success. Um, and so um, it'd be great for them. Um, I, you know, you could bring them back into the conversation if they can get the players. The one thing I, I think a lot of folks miss out on, and I think I was listening to ESPN FC maybe, is just getting them up to that part of the country, selling that to a player because. Um, a lot of these younger guys might not remember uh, some of the, the glory that um, Newcastle United had. But um, I've heard some interesting comments as far as bringing in Pochettino, um, getting some, some, some superstars from abroad and in the Premier League. Um, if you bring in that Saudi money, that's something that you can do. So, um, like I said, the fan base, they're ready. The, the supporters, they're, you know, they're ready to roll. The stadium, like I said, it's, it's absolutely amazing stadium. Um, we actually lost to Newcastle uh, this this season, so no, they've they've got. Uh, if, if this is all going through and, and it's all happening, um, you've got to look at it from the standpoint of, you know, look what money can do for club. Look at Chelsea, you know, che that's another oil money. You know, Chelsea's doing okay, and then you bring in uh, their owner, uh, Russian billionaire oil tycoon, and bam, you've got back-to-back -back championships. Same thing with uh, those guys that I won't mention. We'll just call them the noisy neighbors. Um, they bring in that money in his plastic pitch and all that, but you know they've got back-to-back -back championships and you know winning all kinds of trophies. So um, don't like the business again. Love like the money. And uh, if if I could get a different owner that wasn't a Saudi besides the the Glazers and, and Woodward, I would do it in a heartbeat. Yes, yes. I mean, <clears throat> again, again, uh, I would. Yes, I'm on, I'm, on, I'm on board with you. The Glazers, Woodward, uh, we've had our we've had our say about them, but I think bringing in some somebody like the Saudis uh, and and how politically or more, you know how they are seen throughout the world, 
I think it would have had a, it would have had a negative effect on on a team like United. Uh, it could probably work for Newcastle, uh, but you know, I just I think for a team a global team like United, I think it would have been it would have been detrimental to the club, the club's history, and obviously the club's future. Yeah, you can you know you can bring as much money as you in, but it's like look, I mean, you can't buy history, right? Uh, look at look at the um, look at Man City. No matter what, no matter how much the the Abu Dhabi group or whom whomever who whomever owns them, I, I can't remember their their exact name. Uh, yeah, you can spend you can throw you can throw a billion dollars at the wall, but you're not going to buy history and you're not going to buy loyalty throughout the world. And and that's just my that's that's just fact. I mean, you have you have your pocket city fans right now that are bandwagon fans. Uh, once City starts losing, those those fans were bandwagon fans for a reason. So, um, that's uh, enough of the Saudis. <coughs> All right, uh, last interesting topic you see. Um, kind of a came out of from an old old uh, not an old. I'm sorry, he's younger than me. Um, an ex United fan, an ex Brazilian United fan, had some kind of choice words for uh, Neymar when he was interviewed by. Alex Nunez, I believe that's her name for ESPN FC. Yep. Uh, Mr. One half, that one half of the dynamic duo of the Dos Santos brothers, uh, Rafael had an interviewed with um, with Alex Nunez on ESPN FC, and he had some choice words about Neymar. You see, I mean, saying that Neymar is not a leader, um, and you know, so on and so forth, and. You know what? You know, obviously, he's just talking about the Brazilian national team because that's where they've, they've only played together. But you know, he had—I think he had some choice words about the partying and you know what type of I mean, personality was Neymar. Um, fair or foul? Fair or foul? Uh, for uh, I don't think Rafael's on the national team anymore. Uh, for an ex an ex player like that to come out and criticize uh, a player of of Neymar's sainthood, or whatever you want to call it, or his ilk, you know, his 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 being, you know, this all powerful being that Neymar is, fair or foul? I mean, I, it's fair fair play to him for speaking his mind. Um, foul for doing it on ESPN FC. I I listened to it. I thought, you know, this is this is his take. It's his say. I wish more players would do stuff like this. How, and that's just as a fan, and obviously as someone that has a podcast, this is great content. But um, you know, you never want to hear a, a guy who's on the national team uh, blatantly outright just throw another guy under the bus. Um, uh, you have to take it for what it is. Um, this is how he feels. He didn't mix words. He literally said he's not a leader. Um, you know, if you listen to the pundits that he was talking to, or that, that kind of had their take on what Raphael said, um, I kind of agreed with them. Um, obviously they're biased cause they were Neymar fans. Um, they basically said, look, um, you've got players like Zinedine Zidane who weren't verbal leaders, but they led on the pitch with their play. Um, and that might be who he is. Um, I don't know Neymar from the hole in the wall, but I do know that you know, when it comes to sports, um, you know, when you've got an opportunity to have a microphone in your face, um, and I, you know, did interviews on a, on a lower level, this guy, he, this guy is, you know, Manchester United, he, he and his brother started at one point in time, 
Um, I think he's now at Lyon. Um, he's a big deal. I'm just just put it into perspective. He's a big deal. So for him to say something like this um, on SP, on ESPN FC, um, you know, he knows the whole world's listening. So um, sounds like maybe a little bit of salt. Maybe he's a little bit bitter about some things because if you go down the history of Brazilian players, um, they all party. They all have a good time. Um, you know, and that 82 team, which is probably their best team that they've ever had, they didn't win the World Cup either. So the argument that, well, he's only won the Gold Cup, he hadn't won the World Cup, not buying it. Um, the, this guy, um, you know, set the Brazilian league back on fire, went to Barcelona, did amazing things there. Um, didn't like the, didn't like being behind Messi, but guess what? Everyone's going to be behind Messi. Um, Griezmann's finding that out right now. Uh, and he's having a great season at PSG. So, um, you know, you can't, I can't argue with, with, uh, with, uh, Raphael. I disagree with him, but he obviously has played with him. Um, he obviously knows him better. And so, you know, he just giving his two cents on what he thinks and you, you have to respect it. You just, you don't have to like it. And I don't, and it's not because I don't like the truth. I just don't like the fact that he's airing it out on ESPN FC. I loved it. <laughs> really. I did. And I'm going to say something that's going to, it sounds, it's going to sound very contradictory, but there's two points. Yeah. You can be a leader. Yes. On the pitch, the way this play, but does Neymar deserve the captain's armband? Cause that's, a, the, the true definition of a leader and it's not has to be vocal it's your work ethic and obviously with throughout Neymar's league career and his career with the Brazilian national team Na- nobody nobody will question the fact that Neymar's talently gift I mean the, his talent is is ungodly you know what I mean it's just godly I'm sorry I mean it's just he has it whatever it is in football he has it and but it doesn't make him. It doesn't. It doesn't give him the fact that he, you know, he's declared the leader, you know, of of a team. No, I mean he could be the, you know, the, you know, he could be the the most talented person in the world, be a shitty person, you know what I mean? But nobody's gonna follow him, no matter what. If you know, if he's that person, and obviously they haven't followed him, this team hasn't. He he hasn't pulled this team um, to where it needs to be because there's so much talent in the Brazilian national team. And I don't think we've seen a leader since what on the Brazilian national team since who? Uh, Ronaldinho. Nah, Ronaldinho was not a leader either. He had talent. Ronaldinho was not a leader. I'm saying going before that, Roberto Carlos probably right, a, a person of that ilk that had that talent and also he was a leader. Um, but and I'm gonna it's gonna I'm not gonna contradict myself, but when Ronaldo was handed the captain's armband of Portugal. I was flabbergasted. I'm like, this dude, I mean, I love Ronaldo. The talent is immense, but why are they giving this man the captain's armband? But Ronaldo has proven throughout his time with the Portuguese national team to be that leader. You know, obviously they won the Euros, but you've seen the change in Ronaldo where as he was with Madrid to when he goes to the national team wearing that captain's armband. He's less of a, I'm not saying he's, he's still a diva, but I think he's less of a diva, more of encouraging in his players and trying to get the best out of his players than he is with Madrid. He's more demanding with Madrid because I think he knows the talent that he has with Madrid. It's like we're we, we're better than this. But with I think with Portugal, you see a different Ronaldo wearing that captain's armband, whereas Neymar, you don't. You don't see a guy that you know that though that that team's gonna follow. 
And that's the difference between the two on immense talent. You don't see a guy that I don't think um, any of them are going to follow. Yeah, they'll follow him to the bar, but that's about it. You know what I mean? For a guy that takes off every year for his sister's birthday, you know, and he, he leaves his he leaves his league his league team to take off for his sister's birthday and claiming an injury. Come on, man, uh, that's not a leader. Yeah, no, I think I think he is. I think it's just again, it's it's some guys are able to to be rah rah, and I've, I've played with those guys. Uh, they can they can get you fired up, and I think that's great. But I think there are guys that I know I've played with, and that you know I think some of the pundits were talking about after they the comments were made. Um, some guys just like Zidane. They 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 don't say a lot, but they do a lot on the pitch, and I think. Um, it just depends on who you are. You can't fake who you are. You know, if you like to go out and have a good time, um, that's who you are. Um, you know, those guys, you know, especially nowadays they're making, I don't even know how much money these guys are really making, to be honest, but I know they're making good money. And so, you know, they're going out and they're having a good time and, and, and doing the things that they're doing. But yeah, I think the, 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 the performances that he's put out there, um, I think that puts him where he is. Um, but like, like I said, you know, Rafael has a better. I don't know if they've played internationally together. I'm I'm pretty sure they have, um, but you know he's going to have a better insight on what he feels um, Ra- or Neymar should be doing, especially being a, a captain. But like I said, I think if you go back into their history, because you know I did a little research after I listened to it, and I thought, well, what were these other bigger names doing um, while they were in their prime? Um, they were doing the same things. They were going out. They were partying. They were, I mean, I think I want to say Ronaldinho just got out of jail for something crazy. I think passport, mm-hmm. something or another he was doing. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot to be said um, when when you're in that limelight. There's a lot to be said about the person when you're in that limelight. Um, he's there. Um, there are even talks about him going back to Barcelona. So um, he, he he's a world-class talent. Um, is he a leader in my eyes? Yeah, I would follow. I would try to do the same things that he's trying to do. I don't think he just wakes up every day and, and parties. There's no way that you can continue to do the things he's doing. If, if that's all he's doing. Um, I just think again, when you don't win a world cup and you're Brazilian and all of the hype, you got to remember he, in his prime social media was already popping. So for him now, he's in movies, he's on TV, he's got ads everywhere, Nike, he's you know all over the place. Brazilian fans are going to expect a World Cup every time. And to be humiliated, and they were humiliated, let's just be honest, uh, in the final at home, it's no, there's no other way for him to, to get back unless he wins one. And let's be real, he's got maybe one more in his prime, maybe two, maybe. So he, he has to... For, for me, he has to win a World Cup. That's that doesn't take one player. Um, just ask just ask Lionel Messi, arguably one of the greatest players to ever play. Um, people literally still give him stick about not winning a World Cup. So, um, you know, I think he's great. I'd love to have him on my team, but at the end of the day, Rafael has his his uh, thoughts, and you know that's what he thinks. I think he just has to watch watch where you. Uh, Watch where you put things, basically. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Rafael. <clears throat> he had his he had his time. He could have 
actually said this stuff about Neymar when he was with the national team. Again, I don't know if he's still with the national team. I don't. I've not seen him on any in, on the on the sidelines or anything. So um, it's all good when you're not playing with the guy anymore. But hey, if you have the balls, might as, you might as well tell him to his face. And that's, I mean, that's what I would I would do. I would tell Neymar that. All right, guys. Uh, well, that's uh, the end of our show. Again, I would like to thank Amanda Powers and John Perlman of FC Tucson. Uh, that was the first part of our show, guys. Uh, I'm mean, sorry. That's the first part of our interview. Uh, we'll be airing the second part, guys, hopefully within the next couple of days. I want to say hopefully by Wednesday afternoon we'll have a second part of that on uh, that interview. But, again, uh, thank you for t- thank you for to them for taking our their 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 time to talk to us you know talk to the don't run don't run me podcast uh ec yeah guys um can't thank amanda and uh john enough um we hope to do work with them again in the future and uh we just like i said hope you guys enjoy it i know jesus and i enjoyed it tremendously it was a great insightful conversation so for all of you football intellects, you're going to definitely enjoy it. And for all of you diehard football fans, um, you're going to definitely enjoy it as well. All right, guys. Special thanks to, uh, our, you know, you know the guys, Ro from the Ro Knows Podcast, uh, Hutch Ison, uh, a.k.a. Baron Von Black from the South Texas Trainwrecks, Victoria Monsivice for Allison Food Truck um, here in Alice, Texas. Hey, guys, um, great thing about uh, Allison Food Truck. Uh, Allison Wonderland, I'm sorry, food truck. They gave out five five hundred dollars scholarships yesterday. Uh, that with uh, a benefit they did uh, to the um, to our local high school. So um, you know, support local, uh, buy local, whatever you can do to help out uh, in, in this time. Uh, do what you can do. Again, thank you to Tucson FC, the unofficial, official, officially official. USL soccer team of the Do Enemy podcast, FC Tucson. Again, thank you again to Amanda Powers and John Perlman. Hey, guys, y'all take care, and we'll hopefully see you later on this week. She just throws it back at me Once I don't